exciting to see God working in people's lives. Uh, in God, exciting to see um, Mally also, who not too long ago was herself in the waters of baptism, now being used in the discipleship of, uh, of another and seeing God uh, building up people uh, as he loves to do. Uh, in the first service, um, I needed to confirm whether people were actually familiar with, how many people were actually familiar with Y2K, because we had a number of people that, that uh, were, were, were just not alive at that time or not uh, uh, as conscious of those things. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that most of us here remember Y2K. I, I wonder how many of you have, have heard of Y1K, though? Anybody? Y1K? They didn't actually call it Y1K, um, but like Y2K, in the lead up to the turn of the millennium in 999, uh, there was a bit of a panic. Uh, with Y2K, the problem was they feared that because most computers were set with the, to record uh, the date, uh, spe specifically the year with just two digits, when it goes from 99 and it flips over and it wants to go to 100, what, what's it going to do? Uh, is it going to feel like it's, it's uh, going back to zero? Is it going to go to 100? Is, what kind of confusion? So they solved that one with Y2K. With Y1K, the problem was that uh, the Pope that year made a prediction. Uh, it was Pope Sylvester II, and he predicted that when the clock struck midnight on January 1st, 1000 AD, that Jesus would return, the final judgment would be ushered in, and people went into a panic. There was uh, not a little confusion as people uh, were scrambling to know what this means, what do we do, how do we prepare. Uh, people streamed to Jerusalem thinking maybe that will help, maybe that's where we should be if Jesus is coming back. And it... Uh, Despite causing all of that panic, as you can probably guess, January 1st came and Jesus didn't return. He wasn't the first to make a prediction, uh, either of Jesus' return or the end, uh, and he wasn't the last. Uh, others in, in, uh, in our lifetime, Jerry Falwell, for instance, uh, he, he guessed the date uh, within a decade, and that decade has now uh, past. Um, uh, Pat Robertson made a couple of wrong predictions before he decided I, I, he wasn't going to make any more predictions. Uh, Jack Van Impe made several predictions before he either gave up making predictions or decided no, nobody's listening to these predictions anymore. I better stop while I'm ahead or I'm behind. I'm not sure which. But the, the question I've got to ask is, why do keep, people keep making these predictions? Why is there so much confusion about the end? What can we know? What can't we know? What has God revealed? And beyond all the speculation of that, when we understand what God has revealed about the end, how does that affect how we live today? If we truly know how the story ends, what does that mean about how I live today, tomorrow, and the next day? And those are the questions that I believe our passage answers this morning. Uh, we've been in a series all through the summer in 1 Thessalonians called uh, Living Life in Light of the End, where we're trying to do just that, understand what's coming, 
and how do we live today? Um, how are things different as a result of that? And today's passage looks at, um, starts with the timing of uh, Christ's return and, uh, and, and then deals with how do, we, how do we live in light of what's to come? If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me. Uh, I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In your pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 928. And I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While pe people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of God. Now, the first thing this passage teaches is us about Jesus' return is that we just keep wanting to know when, but God keeps showing us how. We'll, we'll see that God is not particularly interested in showing us dates or times or calendars. He, he is not interested in revealing those things, but he does want to describe for us what it's going to be like when it comes. Because if we understand the how, it makes it very clear what it is and how it is that we are to live in light of that. So we want to know when, and God wants us to know how. The passage starts in verse 1 with this phrase, now concerning the times and the seasons. So Paul's taking up a question that the Thessalonians had brought to him. They had um, come to Timothy when he had visited, and they said, we're kind of worked up about this thing. They, we, we've heard about Christ's return. We've heard about the end. And we, we want to know, like, when is it? And they wanted some, some details. In verse 2, Paul refers to Jesus' coming as the day of the Lord. He'd been talking, as we saw last time, about Jesus' return, when he would descend and we would be caught up together with him. And now he's continuing that exact same line of thought, but now he's referring to those events as the day of the Lord. It's an important phrase, and if you've read uh, and spent any time reading in the Old Testament prophets, you know that the day of the Lord is a phrase that just gets repeated again and again and again. It's that day when God will finally visit this world to bring justice. People who had cried out wanting God to bring relief from those who were oppressing them, those who had felt uh, untreated, mis mistreated, and, and feeling the unfairness of this world, that God would intervene and finally 
bring criminals to account, to bring sinners judgment, but also to bring relief to those who were waiting on him, looking to him. It appears many times, I'll give you one example from Isaiah chapter 13, verses 6 to 8, um, but this is repeated uh, similar descriptions all through the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah 13 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They'll be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. It's a terrible picture of judgment. It will be a day of justice. It will be a day of righting the wrongs in this world. But what the Bible warns us of is that the wrongs in this world are so profound that when God finally comes to to right those wrongs and to bring final judgment, it will be a terrible day of, uh, of judgment. Interestingly, though, this day of the Lord is linked in verse 2 of our passage with Jesus' second coming. So when Jesus returns, he is bringing in what those Old Testament prophets had long prophesied. He will bring in the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment. Now, Paul had already talked to them about this. When he had visited and and established a church, he had told them about this already, but with his absence, they had begun to become anxious about the timing. They were starting to feel some pressure. They were starting to feel some opposition from people around them. And they were thinking, is now the time? Is it coming? Is, is it coming? If, if we just knew the date, then we could be better prepared. But in verse 1, Paul just answers, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. No need for anything to be written to you because this, as I told you, is not something God's revealed. It's not something that God has chosen to make known. Jesus himself was asked the same question. Uh, The disciples came to to him and asked, when will this be? When, When will these things take place? And he replied in Matthew 24, 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. And then later in the same chapter, he he said that he would come at an hour you do not expect and and was just pressing home to them as, as, as is done throughout Scripture that the timing and the dates and the, the, the details are things that God has not chosen to reveal to us. And, and, and these questions probably keep getting asked because people think, if I just knew when he was coming, then I kind of wouldn't have to think about that for a while, and I could put off uh, being, being, being ready, and I could just live my life however I like, and then maybe the day or maybe the week before he's about to return and everything, then I could kind of get my act in order and I could, uh, I could be ready for that day. And, and God said, I'm not going to give you dates and times and details. I want you to be ready. The answer to the question of when is always soon in the Scripture. But while God hasn't revealed the when of the end, he has revealed the how. In verse 2, we learn that it will come suddenly and unexpectedly. Paul says, a day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And maybe some of you have experienced a thief in the night. You've been robbed. I've talked with people that have been robbed. The thing that 
strikes me about people that I speak with who have been robbed, none of them ever expect to get robbed. They, they always assume that that's something that happens to other people. So it is always unexpected. It is always unpleasant. It, it's something that happens and people feel unprepared for. And, and, and it's saying that the day of the Lord will be like that. It will be something that, that occurs suddenly. It's not something that, that people are, oh, now it's, prob- it's probably going to, no, there's, there's not any of that. It will be sudden, unexpected, and catch many people unaware because many people will have ignored the warnings, ignored uh, the teachings of Scripture in this area. Verse 3 shows that the end will come amid great complacency. Paul writes, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Before Jesus returns, nobody's going to be walking around on eggshells thinking, I I wonder if this is going to be the day. Maybe, Maybe this will be the time when Jesus returns. It won't be like that. People will be laughing and drinking and slapping each other on the back and talking about how ridiculous those Christians are and how how crazy the Bible is and those stupid things that people said about the end. And it'll be just at that moment that the end will come, that Jesus will return. And and so it catches people unaware, unexpected. It's it's sudden and, and terrible because at just the moment when people wrote it off as crazy, it is then that the Lord returns. So he'll come suddenly, unexpectedly, and amid great complacency. But the end will also come painfully. Verse 3 says, Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, it's probably not a surprise to most of you that I have not experienced labor pains, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. But having witnessed the birth of my three children now, I can safely say I've gotten as close to labor pains as I would ever care to get. I have, I have seen close enough that I, I recognize this is a time of extreme and dramatic pain. And the pain seems to be all the more greater because they, they, it comes in waves of increasing intensity just getting more and more painful and the, the, the break and the relief in between those waves gets shorter and shorter. And once they get started, they're not going to stop until, until they've had their, their course. And, and in describing the end like this, it's, it's a warning that the, the end will come with great pain for those who have rejected God, been complacent about his warnings, and not been ready to hear the invitations and the promises of God. The end will come painfully. Despite all of that, the Bible says that those who have put their trust and hope in Jesus Christ can rest. The the end will still come suddenly. The end will still come unexpectedly. It'll come amid, uh, amid great complacency, But those who are not among the complacent, those who have heard the warnings, responded to the word of God, responded to the invitations that are offered in Jesus Christ, the the salvation that he holds out, they will be able to welcome that day with relief, with joy and hope. For them, it will be a time of reunion. For them, it will be a time of vindication. 
Because at that moment, we will realize in, 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 with our eyes what we have up until that point only believed with our hearts, that the promises were true, the warnings were real, and he really has come. So it'll, it'll occur suddenly, unexpectedly, and painfully. But for those, uh, in verse 4, he says, who, who are not among the complacent, who have listened, he says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a, like a thief. It need not take you by surprise. If you hear and rest in and trust and believe the warnings that God gives, we can rest in security, not because of, our, of ourselves or what we have done, but because we have received the forgiveness and pardon that Jesus Christ offers. So the next thing this passage teaches is, is that while we want the date, God wants our preparation. In fact, what can happen is we can get fixated on the things that we don't know, like what date, what year, what time, and that can distract us from the things that we're actually supposed to be doing, which is preparing and being ready for that day, living life in light of that day that is coming. We want the date. God wants our preparation. In verse 6, Paul says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And in verse 7, he, he expands on this by explaining that nighttime is a time when people usually either sleep or get drunk. But the, the main takeaway here is not, hey, this is how the end is going to come. Therefore, you should uh, keep close tabs on how much uh, sleep you're getting at night and how, much, uh, how many glasses of wine that you had with dinner. That's not the, really the main takeaway here. What he's trying to do is to compare two very different attitudes and approaches to life. The first approach to life is a person who's asleep. They're living life with their eyes closed, oblivious to what's going to come. So when Jesus comes to them and tries to warn them, tries to invite them to, to flee from this wrath that is to come, free, flee from this judgment and receive his forgiveness, when he comes to them, he finds them snoring. He finds them complacent, sleeping through life, doing many things, um, physically alive, but dead to the eternal realities that are at the heart of what God says life is all about. They're asleep. Uh, the references then to alcohol are, are, again, as an approach to life. Because many people, instead of engaging this life and living life in light of the realities that God says we should, we should lay hold of and live our lives on, they are instead living in escape. Some people will turn to alcohol to escape. Some people will turn to entertainment. Some people will turn to the busyness of the jo or their jobs or their lives. Whatever it takes to escape from this life so they don't think about those eternal realities that God has told us. He has warned us of. And, and so people can walk through life like this, he warns, oblivious, asleep at the wheel, and escaping life rather than engaging it. He warns against that way of living because Jesus' return will find them totally unprepared. 
In contrast to that way of life, he talks about people who are awake and sober. Uh, unlike the person who is asleep at the wheel, who is not really hearing when Jesus speaks, this person is alert. Uh, like someone who is uh, on duty or on, on guard in, in uh, working the night shift, this is a person who is, uh, who is alive, who is hearing God when he speaks, who listens when he warns, who is all ears when God offers invitations and promises. The person is sober also. The, the, here, the person isn't escaping life, trying to run away from life's eternal realities, but believes God in the midst of those realities and lays hold of them, lives in light of them. And again, putting those two approaches to life before us and saying, are you living in such a way that you will be prepared when Jesus returns? Or are you complacent? Are you asleep at the wheel? Are you escaping those eternal realities rather than living in light of them? Maybe for some of you that's too abstract. Like, what does it mean to be sober and alert? What, like, specifically, what are, what are we talking about there? What, what does that actually look like? And in verse 8, Paul is going to spell out some of the details. He says, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For some of you, those feel like generalities. Maybe they're just like idealistic platitudes, faith, love, hope. Those are, those are wonderful things. But in the, in the context of what Jesus says is coming and what the Bible describes as the end, these are actually given as a concrete strategy for coping, for living. I want you to see that. First of all, uh, the context. When Jesus described the end and when, when he's going to return, he described what it was going to be like when he, when he came. It says in Matthew 24, 12, that lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. He's saying that sin will, will be on the rise. There, people will will drift farther and farther away from what the Bible holds to be true of how we should live and what God's love, his will and purpose for us is. Love, uh, our sin will be on the increase and love will be on the decrease. People's love for God will decrease. People's love for one another will decrease. And we will find ourselves in a world, and this isn't too difficult for us to imagine, and maybe you're experiencing this, where people's love for one another and for God has now been, have now been uh, replaced by mistrust, by, by fear, by disregard for other people. This, this uh, uh, love of many growing cold will make life difficult, frankly, for all of us. Because that, that love that is to be the bond that knits us together ultimately comes from God himself. And when we shut, him, shut ourselves off to his love in our lives, then we will begin to experience the pain of cold relationships, devoid of his love. Now, when Paul says put on a breastplate and a helmet, he's using the language of war, right? He, he's warning that this will feel like a battle. It will begin to heat up because, again, sin is on the rise. Love is in decline. And we will need 
these pieces of armor to be able to cope with and to deal with the world as we will experience it. The, army that, the armor that we most need is faith, love, and hope. And I want to look at those just briefly. The faith here is to trust God's word when all of the people around us are more and more becoming convinced that God's word is crazy. The Bible is not to be believed. Maybe you grew up thinking the things in the Bible just seem like self-evident. They just seem natural to me. Maybe that has been so much a part of your culture growing up that it was always easy to take for granted the things that you saw in Scripture. That will be less and less so as the end draws near. It, it will become more and more difficult. We will be tested whether you will really believe what God says in his word is true, whether it is good, whether it is something to be held to, or whether you will do what more and more people around you will do, which is to reject his word and to walk away from his truth. So he says, hey, it's going to heat up. Put on some, some armor, and the first piece of armor you need is some faith. The next one is, is love. And this one is interesting because, again, we're picturing this time where as society marches forward, the love of most will grow cold. He says, put, put on the armor of love. Here, it, it, it is something that we need to put on because, like faith, it will become more difficult. As people become more cold in their relationships and, and fear and mistrust and prejudice and greed and selfishness take over, it will be, frankly, more hard to love people. It'll take more from us. It will require more of us. And the thing is, what you and I will be tempted to do as that gets more difficult is to retreat and close in maybe gather around us two or three Christians that we love and trust and we can, we'll hope they'll, they'll be really nice to us and shut out the world. And God's saying, hey, this is coming. I recognize it's a battle, but you need to put on your armor. And the armor involves your igniting your love for me and receiving the love that I have for you and then using that love to go back into this world and love people who are hard to love. Love people when it costs you something. Because ultimately it is that kind of love that Jesus showed to us and we now release it to others. The hope here is because your circumstances, I believe, again, sin on the increase, love on the decrease, your circumstances for all of us are going to feel more and more hopeless. Some of you are already feeling this. You, maybe you look at some of the changes politically, morally, socially in our culture, and you think, I, I just, I don't, I don't, it feels hopeless. It just feels like we, we, just, we just keep on going down. Well, if as the end approaches, sin is on the rise, love is on the, on the decline, guess what? Hope is not going to come naturally to people. You're not going to just be... You're not going to just be able to encourage someone, hey, it's all going to be better. Like it's, you, you, those platitudes of hope are not going to come easily to our lips. They're not, going to become, they're not going to easily persuade our hearts. And God says, it's coming. The heat's going to get turned up, so put your armor on. 
We hope because Jesus Christ died for us that we might live again. Our hope is rooted in Jesus Christ, but it is something that we lay hold of in faith, something that we cling to in confidence in him, not in despair with our circumstances around us. I'm not sure if any of you know Sarah Groves, but she's a Christian singer-songwriter who seems to know something of the armor that this passage speaks of. Uh, she thinks a lot about her, her children, uh, thinks a lot about the kind of life that uh, they will know, kind of world that they will experience. And she was uh, interviewed about uh, how, how, she appre- how she approaches it and how, what she wants them to learn from her life. She writes this, I think my sons will face things that I can't even comprehend. And that evil, that darkness, that hurt will make them want listen for it, shut their hearts. Even now, believers are shutting up their hearts and they're closing the windows and locking the doors. But Jesus says, I want you to keep your door open in the face of terrorism, in the face of all the ills that the world has to offer. I want you to keep your heart open and love your God and love your neighbor. That's going to get harder and harder to do. And, and frankly, maybe you find that hard to do right now. Maybe, maybe that's difficult because you don't like how people treat you, how people think of you. You're not looking forward to rejection, and you're not sure how they're going to accept you. And the call of Scripture is to get your armor, to go out and love people anyway with the love that Jesus Christ showed for us. Let's not live like we don't know what's coming. Let's not be asleep at the wheel. But if we believe and lay hold of these truths that God has warned us of in advance, we need to get the armor on. We need to live lives sober, alert, ready, but engaged. Not hopeless, not despairing, not cynical but living lives of love, keeping the door open, and walking into opportunities to speak for God and to represent him. The final lesson in this passage is about what we, where we focus. Because while we worry about what we don't know, God wants us to cling to what we can know. And, and often the problem is we get fixated with things that we don't know, things that we don't know about the end, about our lives, about our circumstances. How is this going to turn out? How's, uh, how, what is God doing in my life right now? How is this working? We get fixated with a lot of things that we don't understand, that God hasn't revealed, and that we, we just don't know. And God, while we do that, God wants us to cling to the things that we can know. In fact, that he has made known. Verse 9 gives us one of those truths that God wants us to hold on to as the end draws near. It says this, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I love that he word, uses this word, destined. Uh, we, whenever I hear people talking about their destiny, they're, they're, they inevitably follow it up with talking about the alignment of the stars or some kind of impersonal force that's strangely guiding their lives. 
the, the Bible never, never presents destiny like this. N- notice it that it is here, the destiny of believers is something God personally determines. He sets out, lays out, and according to his good and wise plan. Here, he has chosen to, to shield us from the wrath to come. He has decided to protect us from the judgment he warns of. And the destiny he's laid out for his followers is of a great rescue with a great Savior, one who, who will come to, uh, to spare us and to deliver us. We're destined to live with Jesus because he died for us. Verse 10 says, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And again, amidst all of the things that we don't know, these are words that he wants us to cling to. These are things that we can know, we can trust, we can lay hold of. I read this week of how God had brought home these words, these very promises uh, of the destiny of those who trust in Jesus Christ. God had brought them home to uh, a pastor named John Piper as he was in his doctor's waiting room. He had gone in for a routine checkup, as many people do, and in the midst of that routine checkup, his doctor said to him, I think we should do a biopsy on your prostate. It feels a bit unusual. And with those words, the doctor left the room to begin some preparations and left John Piper alone with his thoughts, alone in prayer, alone to reflect on Scripture and how he would respond to all of this. And it was these verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that God brought to mind. And afterward, he, he wrote down just the, the way that God personally and powerfully brought them home to him. He writes, he writes uh, in reflecting on that, that moment like this. John Piper, you are mine, and I, your father, have not destined you for wrath. That is not what you are facing. This biopsy and the cancer that was later found is not wrath, nor will you ever come into wrath. There is not wrath for you. But you are appointed by my sovereign decree for salvation. And this is sure and solid and unshakable through our Lord Jesus Christ because he died for you. He died for you so that whether you wake or sleep, that is whether you live or die, you will live with him forever. So relax. I've got everything under control. That's what it means to cling to what we can know instead of getting worked up and worried about what we can't know. Do you have this sure hope as an anchor for your soul? Do you, have you laid hold of these truths that God has held out to us in Christ and responded to them in repentance and faith so that you can say, I, I understand there are things that I don't know about the end, but I know what God has made clear and I'm ready. I'm not asleep at the wheel. I'm awake. If you haven't, I need to urge you to be one of those that are ready. I need to urge you to wake up from whatever complacency that would grip you because it it grips all of us at times to, to be awake from that tendency that we have to escape this life rather than living in light of the realities that God has set before us. 
And if you have laid hold of them, I need to urge you to put on your armor. The heat will get turned up. The, the sin will increase and love will grow cold as Jesus' return approaches. And many will be complacent. They will offer false hope. And we need to have our armor on. We need the faith and the love and the hope that God would provide in order to live our lives in light of all that's to come and to live our lives with the fullness that God purposes for us here today. As you do, cling to the one who has the power to walk us through. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who might not be ready for the day of the Lord. Would you wake them? Would you prepare them? Would you help them to turn to you while there's time? Would you give them grace to humble themselves before you and to ask you for the pardon and the salvation that only Christ can provide. Father, I pray for all of us that we, would, we wouldn't sleep through this life. It's too important. The things that are transpiring around us, people's eternity is at stake. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to put on our armor. Help us to trust you when the people around us would reject and mock and when others would hold back. I pray, Father, that you would help us to love even as it gets more and more difficult to love. Help us to sacrifice to love the way Jesus did. Help us to keep the door open. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to hope not to give in to despair, not to give in to cynicism or negativity, but to live lives that are full of your hope because our hope is in Jesus Christ and the great salvation that he prepares for those who love him. We praise you in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. The day of the Lord. Are you ready for Jesus' return? The Bible says it'll be sudden, it'll be unexpected, it'll be painful, and most people will be asleep. They'll be complacent. Just at the point where they thought they could write off all that God had warned of in his word, they'll see it come to fulfillment. And I wouldn't be doing my job as your pastor if I didn't warn you with everything in my heart to turn to him, to receive the salvation that he freely offers in Christ. You don't prepare for the day of the Lord by trying harder. You don't prepare for that day by trying to impress God with your good works or with your religion. Because unfortunately, those things don't undo our sin. They don't undo that weight of debt that we have stored up for ourselves. But Jesus took that wrath upon himself, that wrath that we deserved, that we might be freed from 
that wrath. That when that terrible judgment comes, we could, be, we could stand not because we had lived sinless lives, but because he had borne our punishment. He had taken that penalty in our place. If you have questions, if you struggle, if there's ways that I can help explain or support you as you seek to respond to him, I'd love to do that. Just don't be unprepared when that day comes. And if you have laid hold of that, don't go through life asleep at the wheel. Get your armor on. The heat's going to get turned up. And we can't just live in light of who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. We can't live on autopilot. We need to engage the faith, the love, and the hope that he calls us to. And as you do, remember and cling to his precious promises. Remember that God has not destined you for wrath, but for salvation. He's chosen you for salvation. He has destined you for that. He has, in his son, sent a savior to die for you, that you might be forgiven, that you might be freed, that you might live a new life. Go out and live that hope. Go out and share that hope as we dismiss in Jesus' name. Amen.